With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com. Welcome back in, everybody. It's that time of the week. Time for the GM Junior Show with Russell Landy, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Episode number five. We are going to break it down live with the man himself, Russ Landy. Of course, I am your co-host, Riding Shotgun, RIC in a place to be, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do, baby. And uh, really, here on April the 12th, 2019, we are just, oh my God, 13 days away from the 2019 NFL Draft in Nashville. We've gone from New York to Chicago to Philly to Dallas and to Nashville. Next year, Las Vegas. But more importantly, where you need to make your next destination is over at the NFLDraftScout.com. The 2019 NFL Draft Bible is now available. Over 1,000 players ranked. Almost 500 scouting reports in the bank. And, of course, our seven-round mock draft. Uh, If you work in the business, we have all the agent representation for each player of uh, rankings for 2020 and 2021. So it's a unique draft guide we've interviewed. We've put over 100 player interviews in there, and it's available right now. So there's two weeks remaining. Uh, it'll be your go-to guide and resource for the upcoming NFL draft. And, of course, as I mentioned, we're brought to you by the Sports Management Worldwide folks. Uh, check out the football GM and scouting class uh, conducted by – our co-host, Russell Landy, over on the sportsmanagementworldwide.com. And we're going to welcome in the star of the show right now on that Sports Management Worldwide hotline. He is Russ Landy. Russ, welcome to episode number five. I'm really excited about it because i got to say, in terms of the 2019 draft class, this is my most exciting. You know, uh, you know, you know I love me some big uglies, but this is the most exciting Defensive line class, I can remember in 18 years covering the draft, we're going to lump them together. Defensive tackle, defensive end. How are you today and your impressions on this defensive line class? You know, firstly, Rick, as always, thanks for doing this with me. It's a blast. Um, It's always good to do things with friends uh, in media. You know, I mean, you are so right. I mean, the the depth in this defensive line class is unreally paralleled. I mean, I even look back to the year that Sue – came out um, along with that kid, uh, the kid that's playing for Tampa. McCoy. Name is, uh, McCoy, McCoy, Joe McCoy. I mean, they were two elite yep. guys that everybody was excited about, but there wasn't a lot after that. There were a few random guys. 
This class, it's unbelievable the depth. I mean, you're talking about guys that are going to go in the late first, second round that legitimately in other drafts might have been top 10 or 15 picks because of the talent at D-line. I mean, it's really a remarkable class. I think a lot of teams that have either struggled to find guys or lost some really good players. Maybe in Oakland that lost, obviously lost is a tough word to use, but when they traded away Mac last year, this is a year you can get healthy real quick. I mean, you think about just for edge guys, Bosa, Burns, Gary, Sweat, Allen, and then you even get into there's other guys like Polite that's later on that people don't know where he's going to go, the Winkovich or Winovich kid from Michigan. I mean, there's so much talent this year along that D-line, both inside and outside. I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah, let's not forget about Sack Daddy, Jalen Ferguson, breaking Terrell Suggs' all-time sack record, uh, O'Shane Jimenez, the old Dominion kid. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, it's funny because I did my latest mock draft, and we we just did a show yesterday, the Rick and Joe draft show, Russ, and we're looking at the Patriots there at the bottom of the first round. And, you know, in my mock draft scenario, you know, Jeffrey Simmons – I mean, I can see a situation where the rich get richer here. Like you said, so many defensive linemen. I think one of these guys is going to slide to the Patriots. And Montez Sweat, we'll talk about the heart situation later on in the show. But uh, Simmons is a guy, you know, obviously, the, I think it's the ACL, you know, doing some drills he shouldn't have been doing there on the combine training. He's he's obviously going to redshirt his, uh, his rookie season in the NFL, Russ, but Here's a guy who arguably was a top 10, maybe a top five talent. Now there are some character concerns. I think this one is a little bit interesting because we've seen video evidence just destroy people, uh, whether it's Ray Rice or, um, you know, even Joe Mixon went through the PR uh, fiasco. But, you know, this is and an even interesting Kareem Hunt case. last year. Yeah. And Kareem Hunt, yeah. So. It's ruined people, but now, you know, I hear people around the league stating a case for the Simmons because he was defending a family member. I think it was his mom or sister or relative that he was getting involved with. I don't know if you've seen the video. Uh, not as bad, in my opinion, as, as some of the other ones, but uh, your takes on Jeffrey Simmons. If you're in uh, the war room, a GM, you know, are you still looking at this guy in the first round? What's your take on the situation? Well, I mean, firstly, you just have to make sure you've done all your homework. I mean, to find out was it legitimately something where he was not he was not the aggressor starting out. It didn't. It wasn't him chasing after somebody. If he legitimately, whether it was a friend or a relative that he was defending, or if it was just a group thing where all of a sudden a bunch of guys screaming turned into guys throwing fists, and you, you just have to do all your research. You have to find out who started it. How did did any women become involved? How did they become involved? Why were they involved? What exactly happened? To me, I'm a big believer that most people in life make a lot of mistakes when they're young, Um, especially when you're 18, 19, 20, in college, you're going to make mistakes. So to me, I would tend to say, you know what, let's give this kid a second chance. If we feel when we've interviewed him, we feel that he's a good kid. And if all the people we speak to at the school come out and feel that this is a good kid, you have to take a gamble. I mean, you're talking, this is a kid that's 21 years old, and this happened in 2016. So we're talking about a kid that this happened when he was 18 or 19, depending on when his birthday was and when the arrest was. So you're saying we're going to condemn a kid and not give him a chance to earn the money that his actual talent sort of says he should 
just because of something that happened when he was 18 or 19. Obviously, we're not saying everything is, is you can wipe it clean, but every person deserves a second chance from terrible mistakes. So I would tend to think that teams are probably going to say to the school, has anything happened since 16 that we have to be concerned with? And if he checks every box and has done all the things right off the field in terms of being a part of the team, being a part of the community, never been in trouble since then. I think some team's going to take a chance on him, probably in the first round. And like you mentioned, a team late in the first round could get great value for him because he's as good a player as some of the guys that are going to go in that top 10 or 12, but this may push him down a little bit towards that latter part of the first round. Sure, no doubt about it. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I feel like it's an intriguing storyline for the draft. And, you know, we've seen John Dorsey make a pretty good living uh, out of rolling the dice and taking some gambles here. And, you know, the, the video in question does show Simmons uh, kicking and punching a female while she's down on the ground. Now, you know, not as violently uh, of a punch. You know, the one punch that Joe Mixon delivered was more powerful and damaging than all the punches and kicks that Simmons landed. But no doubt there's going to be some public lashback here. And I'm curious you know, as an NFL decision maker, and of course, you know, Russ, we didn't touch upon his highlights, spent, you know, two decades in scouting in the NFL, CFL, XFL, you've been in the war rooms. Do you take in consideration, I'm looking around the league, there's a lot of young head coaches, head coaches that are in their 30s, uh, head coaches that have never been head coaches before, especially on this kind of platform. Does it matter that you know, if you have a young coach, an experienced head coach versus a guy, you know, like a Mike Tomlin who's been through the, the, the public PR and knows how to handle the media, does that become a factor in the war room when you're taking a guy with character issues? Because obviously, you know, you want to probably have a veteran locker room, but more importantly, it starts up top at, in, in the leadership roles. Well, there's no question. The coach is going to be part of it, the GM, even the owner. I mean, the big thing you have to find out is from the school this, this kid played at, and if we're talking Simmons, in his case, you have to talk to the coaches at Mississippi State say, hey, how is he going to handle a young coach? Is he a respectful guy? Is he going to do all the things that we expect him to do? And if they tell, tell you that, hey, since that incident, he's never even stepped out of line once, He's going to listen to everybody. He treats the equipment room guys well. He listens to the trainers, the video guys, whoever deals with him. He's a gentleman. That's going to make it think, okay, we can make, probably make it work with whatever coach we have. The bigger question is you have to get your GM and your owner all on board. And, and if you're going to take a kid like Simmons in that first round, you would hope that your owner will be at that initial press conference when you're announcing the picks and say, hey, our staff did the research. I, as the owner or as the GM, one of the two has to step forward and say, we're giving this young man another chance. There are going to be conditions upon that he must meet in order to stay in this league, but we've spoken to a ton of people. We believe that every person deserves another chance, and we believe he is going to do the things necessary to be successful. If your owner and GM are not on board, then you can't go down that road. Everybody has to be on board so that everything that is said by the organization is the same thing that you're going to give this kid a chance, but there's going to be a line in the sand, and if he does anything that crosses it, he's done. Very interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how that storyline unfolds uh, less than two weeks away from the 2019 NFL draft. And, you know, since we're talking defensive tackles, uh, Russ, we'll stick 
We'll start with the defensive tackle since we're already involved in that conversation. Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here breaking down the defensive linemen. We'll talk edge rushers in the second part of the show. Uh, but, you know, here's an interesting observation, I guess I would call it, Russ. You know, for me, coming into the year, Ed Oliver was, you know, him and Bosa were arguably our 1A and 1B prospects coming into the year. Now, you know, Bosa had the injury. Uh, I think he's still locked in there as the number two pick off the board behind uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, however, this guy, Quinnen Williams, man, I mean, nobody was talking about this kid in August. He just exploded onto the scene. Uh, I think he's now overtaken Ed Oliver on most draft boards as the top defensive tackle. Uh, And I'm curious to know, we'll talk about Oliver in a second, but is he the top defensive tackle prospect? Is it Quinnen Williams? Is it Jeffrey Simmons? Who's the best bang for your buck if you had to take – the top defensive tackle in this year's draft class? You know, for me, i got to go Williams. Um, the biggest thing, and it's a little tough because whenever you're grading Alabama players, you're grading them with other elite guys right around them. So they're not always getting double teamed and things like that, like the elite players often are at a lot of schools. But when I watch Williams, the thing that separates him to me from Oliver is they're both exceptional athletes. I mean, they're both quick twitch. They're both that. Is I'm looking at Williams as bigger. He's stronger. He's longer arm, longer hand, or bigger hands, longer wingspan. He's a bit more powerful. When you watch him two-gap, he can just dominate guys at the point of attack. Oliver, I think, is a tremendous athlete, but I just think Williams has a chance to be a guy that you can use in all different schemes, all different alignments. Same thing can sort of be said for Jeffrey Simmons. Big kid, long, linear, powerful at the point of attack. I tend to like a guy that I have more versatility. With Williams, I can literally say you're going to be a three technique. Nope, this time I'm going to move you out to a five and a three-man front. Well, this time I'm just going to make you a traditional no- or D-tackle. This time you're going to play nose. He could move around and do those things, whereas while I think Oliver has the athleticism to do many of those things, I don't know if he has the, the innate natural heft and power at the point of attack to really be able to fill some of those roles as well as Williams. And that's why I like Williams a little bit more. No, I would, I would definitely tend to agree there. And one more note on Williams from what I've heard. And obviously we're, you know, listen, we're not in these meetings. We can only go by, you know, the people that we trust, but Quinnen Williams, apparently not so great behind closed doors in the combine interviews. Uh, I've had a couple people, you know, say, hey, in so many words, not too much there between the ears. Uh, Not my words, just what I'm hearing. Now, you know, we've seen in the evaluation process and talking to scouts, me personally on my end, hey, at the running back position, hey, the kid is smart as a rock. Well, hey, he's a running back. Just hand him the ball. He'll know what to do with it. Does that – same formula applied to defensive linemen or is there a little bit more complex involvement here learning the schemes learning the stunts learning the playbook how much of a concern is that for you well firstly it it is important obviously you want a kid who can handle different adjustments in game who if the center makes a call you can make a call as the linebacker and and shift guys and it won't screw them up um but at the same time a big a big bonus for Williams and any Alabama players, either positive or negative, it can be negative too, is that 
the staff there at Alabama is very open. They're going to tell you about the kid. They're going to tell you everything about the young man. So they'll tell you, hey, Williams may have an issue here or he doesn't have an issue here. So if learning is an issue, they're going to be honest about it. But most likely, let's, let's remember, he was not as productive as he was at one of the elite schools in the nation just because he's physically gifted. Because Nick, very few guys get through Nick Saban's system without learning technique and doing the smaller things. So my guess is that they'll tell NFL teams, hey, this is what we did with him. This is how we did it, and this is why we think it's not going to be a factor at the next level. Or they may say it will be. But I think with Williams, I wouldn't be as concerned. Interior guys, even though, yes, you'd like guys who are smart and can handle adjustments, if they're just wrecking balls and they're so physically gifted, you will adjust, and a good coach will adjust his scheme to fit a guy who may not be as good on game day at making adjustments as he is during the week in terms of working hard and preparing. So you work with that. You adjust your scheme to fit the player's strengths, both physically and mentally. So I think for a well-coached team and a, and a smart head coach that understands what they're getting, um, and I'm saying that we don't know. I don't know what Williams is like in the locker room or learning because I've never met the kid. Um, but you as an organization have to feel comfortable that he's a D-tackle. He doesn't have to do what a quarterback does or a center does. He's got to be smart enough to understand his job and understand changes to the line of scrimmage. But you can get away with guys who may not learn everything immediately if you're well coached and you put guys in the right position. Great points. Ross Landy, Rick Saratella here breaking it down. Defensive line, episode number five. If you're just tuning in, hey, i got to tell you, this has been the most popular podcast we've ever done in the history of the NFL Draft Bible here. So we appreciate all the uh, love and the support and everybody tuning in on iTunes and NFLDraftScout.com. Of course, the Blog Talk Radio Archive, Stitcher. Hey, like it, share it, subscribe it. More importantly, hey, if you could take 30 seconds of your time and leave a comment, we greatly appreciate that because, hey, we want to get this information out there to the masses. We want to help educate and better prepare you for the upcoming draft and hey if you like what we're talking about if you like this scouting evaluation if you want to break into the business if you want to polish up your scouting skills then go to sportsmanagementworldwide.com sign up for the football gm and scouting course and you'll learn from this man direct i mean he'll be your mentor your guide uh he does video courses online if you have questions he works with you one-on-one personally and helps coach you up and learn the intricacies of scouting. So hopefully you enjoy what you hear. We appreciate all the first-time listeners. And, hey, we'll be back breaking down the linebackers and defensive backs before that 2019 NFL draft. Now, Russ, we've spent a good amount of time on uh, Simmons. We've discussed Quinn and Williams. I love this kid at Oliver, you know, and I don't care. I see him all over the map. I see him – in the top ten, I see him in the back end of the first round. I don't know where he's going to go come draft day for me. He's still locked in as my number three overall player in the draft. I think the problem is, you know, we have all these weeks now. They, they, they build you up to break you down. We have all these, this month of April now. Uh, you know, they, they want to look for anything and everything to, to kind of knock you in. There's, you know, teams out there that want to put out bad information, hoping that a player slips to you. But, when I look at Oliver, there's no true position at the next level. Is he inside? Is he outside? Heck, the Titans said they like him at outside linebacker. We saw a couple years ago Hassan Reddick, who was a, a great pass rusher at Temple, 
we saw the Cardinals draft him and put him at inside linebacker. So, as an evaluator, you like Ed Oliver. You want to draft him on your team. Let's take the scheme specific out of it, whether it's 3-4-43. You could play either or. Where do you see Ed Oliver fitting in at the next level? And where do you have him ranked? Is he a top 10 guy? Is he a top 5 guy? Is he a back end of the first round guy, in your opinion? You know, first, I'll say, when you watch Oliver, the biggest thing that jumps out is athletically, he can do things that very few D linemen can do. I mean, he's explosive. He's got that quick twitch, can change directions. I mean, that's something you can't teach a guy that's 270, 280, 290. He, he's got rare athletic traits. To me, Excuse me. To me, if I'm coaching this kid and I get him in my organization, I want him to be a penetrator. I want to use him as a three technique. I want to move him around, put him into gaps. I don't want to lock him in and say you're a two-gapper. To me, that's a waste of his talent. And also, he's not a guy who, to me, that's not where he shines because he tends to be a little bit high, tends to give up his leverage. And that's not great, but it's acceptable when you're attacking gaps because you're trying to get skinny and get in there. When you're trying to be a powerful guy at the point of attack, getting up high, you're done. So that's why I look at Oliver and I say, hey, I can understand outside linebacker because if he's in the 260s, you could put him on that edge, let him come off the edge. He has a two-way go on the offensive tackle or the tight end who's blocking him. Or if he's going to be in the 270s or 80s, you want to play him inside, I have no problem with that. I think the important thing to look at when you look at Oliver is just the athletic traits. This is a long linear kid in terms of he's almost 6'2", 280, and he plays long. When you watch him, he because he's a little bit high, you can see him when he steps. He gains ground quickly that a lot of defensive tackles don't. He's into that gap in a flash, which is a combination of his sort of length of his, the stride into that gap and also that initial explosion. Yes, he's not that 6'4 guy that a lot of teams want on the inside, but I tell you what, I like this kid. I think this kid's going to be a very productive player, whether it's interior three technique, which is what I like, or outside as a linebacker, um, rushing off the edge or a D-end. I get that, but I want him inside. If it's my choice, he's my three technique. I think he's got a chance to be really good. No, I I agree. I think, you know... (laughs) Again, all three of those guys at the defensive tackle position that we spoke about, I mean, you know, the, history says odds are one of these guys will be a bust, but I don't see it. I mean, these are three bona fide uh, guys up front on the defensive line that, hey, if they make a couple trips to the Pro Bowl, I would not be surprised. Uh, of course, there's more defensive tackles to talk about. We'll get to that later in the show. But right now uh, we're going to transition, shift gears to defensive ends. And, you know, some of these guys that can rush rush the edge, Russ, because, you know, in, in all my years of scouting and evaluation, I've seen so many dominant pass rushers uh, in the NFL, or I'm sorry, in the college level that just don't translate over to the NFL. And a lot of times, you know, some of the small school caliber guys and FCS, even even the mid-major schools at the D1 level, you know, they're, you know, a guy like Sutton Smith over at Northern Illinois, I mean, he's racking up 20 sacks a year, but then you see him at the Senior Bowl, the kid's like 5'11", 200 pounds, and you say, well, you know, hey, there's no way he's going to be doing that at the next level. Um, what is it, you know, before we talk about some of these guys, what is it that makes an elite pass rusher? Is it what are you looking for? Is it the is it the waist and, and knee flexibility? Is it the hand repertoire? 
Uh, is it the 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 various pass rush moves that he's able? Is it strength? Is it a combination of all? What are you looking at on film as an evaluator when you're trying to identify some of these elite pass rushers? And I I use the word elite because outside of quarterback and left tackle, I think any successful team needs an elite pass rusher. Well, there's no question. And I think a lot of the traits that you look for as an edge rusher in terms of finding an elite guy are very similar to guys you look to what you look for inside a D tackle because I want a guy who's got that initial quickness. Um, you've got to be able to, as that ball snapped, I want you to be the first guy moving at the snap because that tells me you can get into the gap if you're inside. If you're on the edge, you can get to that corner before that tackle can get set. And even if you're not going to go for the corner, you can at least, it's in his mind that you can get it. So he has to get out so quick, it gives you an inside-outside go as a pass rusher. So that initial quickness is vital. Ability to play with leverage. A lot of pass rushers, even the explosive ones, they explode, but they pop right up. If you pop right up, it gives me your chest. It's going to make it hard for you to beat me inside or out. The great pass rushers. When you watch Terrell Suggs, he's quick off the ball, but he also maintains lower pad level so that when he has to change directions, he's already in a bent knee, dipped over shoulder position, so he can go inside and outside without having to sort of adjust his, his rushing positioning. Those two things are vital. How aggressive are you as a pass rusher is important. Um, a lot of guys don't really attack. They just sort of try to hopefully find a space and then hit it. I need guys who are aggressive with their hands. Most guys come out of college, they're not particularly polished with their pass rush moves, and that's okay. But are you aggressive with your hands? Do you have strong hands? Are you coachable? That's what you find out when you talk to the coaches. Can he learn how to pass rush? Or have you been teaching this guy for four years certain things and he still hasn't learned it? You have to figure that out. But I want a guy who's got that burst off the ball, plays with leverage, uses his hands well to not only stay free but to defeat blocks. And the most important, probably above all this, is I need a guy who's relentless. A lot of sacks, yes, there are guys who just explode through and they get that sack on the initial move. But a lot of sacks are on secondary moves, on second effort, because you get stymied the moment you come off the ball. And a lot of guys give up. They go for that first rush, stop. But I want those guys who they get punched when they get that first one, and then boom, they swim over it and they get their pressure. Those guys are the ones that that get sacks in the NFL. You've got to have a secondary move. You've got to be relentless and never quit rushing. So those are probably my four biggest things. That explosion off the ball, the ability to play with pad level, your ability to use your hands, and your ability every single snap to play like it's the last snap you're ever going to play in your life. Hey, it's funny when I hear you talk, Russ, you know, the one player that keeps just running through my mind over and over and over. And, you know, listen, there's been a lot of great ones out there. But for me, the best that's ever done it is LT. And, you know, every trait and characteristic you just explained is just Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor. I don't know if we'll ever see another Lawrence Taylor. But, man, there's some good ones in this year's draft. And, you know, we talked about it on previous podcasts I mean, the athleticism, and listen, hey, these guys get bigger, stronger, faster every year, but hey, you got guys now, Montez Sweat at 260-plus pounds is running 4-4-1. He's running faster than Odell Beckham. Yeah, I mean, you got Rashawn Gary out here uh, running into four fives at almost 300 pounds, you know, playing the inside-outside edge, get after the quarterback. I mean, we've never seen such big physical, athletic, agile, fast, quick 
defensive ends, but you know, everybody seems to be pointing towards uh Nick Bosa who, you know, maybe not as talented as his brother Joey, but again, the bloodlines, the family history, going back, his father was a first round pick, his uncle was in the league, his brother was a first round pick. Uh, however, there is a little bit of a stigma, and I do think, you know, whatever the stigmas are, I do think that San Francisco will wind up taking him number two overall. There's a little bit of a stigma here, though, Ross, that he kind of checked out from his team. How how injured, how seriously injured was he this past year at Ohio State? Did he just kind of put himself over the team? Did he check out, uh, you know, any concerns there and, you know, is he the consensus top pass rusher? I mean, I think to me he is. Um, now, is there a concern? A hundred percent there is, because even though I tend to think it's going to be fine, just based on what Joey's been for San Diego and, and the way he plays, and a lot of that is really sort of ingrained in the family, you don't know until you actually see this kid come in this year in the NFL because he literally missed his final year. So everything's a guessing game. And I think you make a great point because when you look at some of these guys in terms of like the burns and the sweat and even the Rashawn Gary, those guys may be better testing athletes and they may be a little bit more naturally explosive and fast. If you look at when Joey Bosa came out, he wasn't the elite guy above everybody else testing-wise. What he was was a tremendous football player with great technique who was a very good just maybe not premier athlete. And what Bosa's done is just dominate. When he's healthy in the NFL, he's one of the top three or four defense players in the whole league. I think teams look at Nick and say he may not be as physically dominant as his brother, but he has a lot of similar traits. He plays with unbelievable passion. So I think teams are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I will tell you, anybody that says it's not a concern that he didn't play his final year, yeah, that – it is definitely has to be a concern to everybody to make sure you get to the bottom of it before you feel comfortable saying we're taking this kid in the top two or three picks in the draft just because it, no matter what you find out, it is still concerning when a guy does not play his final season. Well, you know, and I'll, and I'll add to it, you know, I go back, I just take a look at the track record and the, and the bloodlines are great, but I believe his dad had, you know, his injuries cut his father's career short. And then, you know, Joey goes on and, and he's struggled with injuries. And then, you know, Nick is injured his senior year. It's like, man, injuries just running the family. Like, you know, God. Yep. And it definitely has to guy, concern you. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, hey, if, if, I get, if I get Nick healthy for 10 games, I'm happy. That's worth the number two overall pick. But, hey, I don't know if I can – expect this guy to stay healthy but you know i agree with you that the talent is just kind of a a notch above everyone else and and there's some really truly great players uh in this year's draft class and i want to talk about some more of these guys but just a reminder we'll be back breaking down the linebackers the defensive backs we ran through all the offensive positions last week we got the big uglies on the offensive side we're talking some big uglies today russ landy rick saratella here presented by the sportsmanagementworldwide.com check them out they have a whole slew of online courses that you can get involved with uh, whether it's analytics and salary cap and uh, agent side of things whatever aspect 
you want to break into the business, uh, Sports Management Worldwide will guide you, take you through the process, educate you, eight-week online courses. So in a matter of two months, uh, you can kind of sharpen your skills, expand your network, and uh, break some doors down into the football industry. So um, let's talk about um, overrated, underrated players, Russ, because I feel like there's always this disconnect, and, and it's funny because, you know, you have all these media outlets and, and a lot of these guys are covering the NFL or covering a, a specific team and the beat writers and then the newspapers or the websites, they ask them, hey, do you mind covering the draft? Do you mind being our draft analyst? And, you know, a lot of times uh, they're deceived by some of their league contacts because the, the – the, the scouts, the GMs, the coaches, they use the media for what they're worth. They put out misinformation, and I see the media bites on it more often than not. Uh, other times, a guy like Bob McGinn uh, from the Milwaukee Sentinel was very well respected. I know uh, people around the league couldn't wait for his mock draft to drop because he was very well connected. And, you know, being a beat writer for the Packers for over 40 years, he built up a network that was very reliable sources. But this time of year, I always see disconnect in terms of what the media is reporting and what the actual NFL teams believe. Uh, so let's talk about, you know, some fact and fiction here. And we'll start off with um, overrated. Give me a guy that, in your opinion, you see is being hyped up but really isn't warranted uh, the publicity, in your opinion. You know, i got to say, the guy that scares me the most, um, and, it, and it stems from me really grading Michigan earlier in the year, um, about four games into the season is when I sat down to grade those players, and I literally came away from that game saying, wow, Chase Winovich is their best defensive lineman. And I kept saying, wow, this Rashawn Gary, he, he's talented. He, he flashes about once every half of a game. He'll make a play. But a lot of the time, he, he just he's there, but I don't see him making plays. And, and Winovich was significantly more productive in the games that I saw. Gary, to me, is one of those guys that is very scary. There's no doubt the physical talent is there, and I'm sure you can put together a highlight clip of his best plays, and he looks like a superstar. But to me, he seems like the ultimate guy that scouts and coaches get into that discussion of here's what he could be, here are the clips of what he's done in terms of being great, but I look at the history of the last 10 or 15 years of NFL teams, one of the biggest mistakes they make is D-linemen that are freak athletes that weren't productive in college consistently getting way overdrafted. And that's what my concern with a guy like him. Is he going to be an Aaron Maben? I mean, that type of guy who was a great guy, worked his butt off, competed every single snap like it was his last down, but he just was not a great football player for the NFL. And, and that's my concern is guys like that. Derek Harvey came out of Florida, similar type thing, long, linear guy. His highlight clip was unbelievable. But when you saw the production, it wasn't there every single game. You'd have to search through games to find it. And that's what concerns me with a guy like Gary. This guy had, I think, three and a half sacks his final year of college. That, that's pretty pedestrian for a great player playing in, uh, playing in the Big Ten, playing almost every game of his final year, three and a half sacks. That, to me, screams out what's going on here. And trust me, it isn't just the sacks. You have to get into the nitty-gritty and see how many times he really made an impact on the play. But when I watched Michigan, I didn't see a consistently 
dominant guy who was every single snap making a, a disruption to the offense. Whereas Winovich, to me, was a pretty regular disruptive force to the opposing team. So to me, Gary is the guy that scares me the most of all the defensive linemen in this class. Just production, I want to see it. And I understand people say you have to draft traits. I think that's a misnomer. Yes, you have to have guys who have certain traits, but you also can't just eliminate production. I mean, if you eliminate production and just go on traits, then you're basically saying, hey, our coaches are better than the coaches where this kid plays. You're telling me that the coaches at Michigan, the D-line coach and the D-coordinator, weren't very good because Gary is going to be coached better in the NFL and going to become a more productive player. Those coaches at Michigan are pretty good. So that, to me, is mm-hmm. what scares me. When I, hear, when I hear people say only draft traits or draft traits first, I understand traits are important. But if you're not looking at production at all, that, to me, is terrifying. Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's essentially an NFL coaching staff over there that Harbaugh has assembled. Exactly. And, you know, the, nays- the naysayers will be quick to point out where is that production. For me, uh, as much as there's concern on the field, to me, off the field, obviously a, a, a Jersey guy. So I watched Gary rise from the high school ranks. Uh, his senior year of high school was just ridiculous. Uh, the amount of publicity and, and, and media frenziness around this kid was beyond ridiculous. And I think his, his national uh, signing day I mean, hey, it's par for the course now. They're all broadcast on ESPN and live. I mean, but this guy was, like, on ESPN. And I remember his first year after Michigan coming back to a a camp here in high school, at his high school, and the celebrity, the Hollywood. And here's a guy who loves the attention, right? We just saw Antonio Brown launch his own YouTube channel. I remember when he came back after his first year at Michigan, the entourage and him just loving the limelight and being that celebrity. I put it out there on a scouting report on the draft Bible that, you know, hey, when he comes out for the NFL draft, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a reality show of some sorts involved. And, boy, I just got murdered by his handlers on the social media. And I think that was the biggest problem for me is that, you know, I spoke to so many people here in New Jersey, New York area that were, quote, unquote, his advisors and in his camp and, and, and this and that. And then, you know, it's kind of flown under the radar here because in 2019 it's not a big deal. But if it was 2009 and not 2019, if you just go back even five years ago, maybe if it's 2014, I think this whole – idea of him launching his own sports agency uh it really hasn't been discussed or talked about and it hasn't been a big deal and maybe we've evolved but to me i have to question how much is this guy's focus on the field i mean it, it seems like to me he's got just as much interest in his success off the field that, than he does on the field and real quickly, your thoughts on, on that whole take before we move on, but how much does that factor in and, and weigh in? And, hey, you got a guy in the Northeast here with his finger on the pulse telling you all these concerns. Uh, does that bump him down a few notches? And can you see Gary actually sliding come draft day? You know, I mean, I don't actually have an issue with him 
starting the firm on the side, and I think his sister, if I'm correct, or maybe it's his brother, is really doing the, a lot of the, the marketing and stuff like that because that's sort of their forte and what they do in life. I think that's great. I think kids that are well-rounded, that are smart and diving into that stuff, I mean, I think that's, in, in a lot of respects, great because I think one thing it's going to do is it, it, the kid learns, hey, I have to be prepared every day. I have to do everything it takes to succeed because there are other players chomping on my heels because he sees that. He's, they're in that mix of doing that. The bigger concern to me is when I watch this kid play, do I see the passion? That's what I want to know. I'm not overly concerned with guys that have hobbies outside of football. History has shown, while years ago that was a big issue and coaches used to knock guys, I think a lot of people nowadays, when you meet a kid and you talk with him and you find out about him, if he's passionate about football and he lives it every single day, but he also has other interests, that's fine. You just want a guy who does have passion for the game. Because if they have passion for the game, they're generally going to continue to have that passion until either they're not good enough anymore or you don't want to pay them the money they're earning. It, it really comes down to do they have the passion for the game of football. That's what you have to find out. Where is Gary's heart? Does he love football or is to him football just something he does and as soon as something else works out better, he's going to prefer to go do that. That's my concern in terms of you just have to find out, just like with any other kid in the draft, where is their passion? If it's in football and Gary, if he's truly passionate about it, which I don't know, I've never met the kid, never interviewed him, that to me is the bigger concern. Not that he's doing something outside of football that he's passionate about. It's how much does he love playing? How much does he love the nitty-gritty? Because that's where you really find out about a kid is do they do the work? Do they do the stuff to be prepared all the time, every day? Because the hardest part of the business of football isn't what happens on Sundays on game day. It's the prep work. So you want a guy who's passionate about the prep work. When you hear Drew Brees talk about the time he does and all the different things, he's passionate about being there early, doing that little work. If Gary does that and he's got that passion, I don't care that he's doing the other stuff. But he's got to have the passion to do the little things Monday through game day that it takes to succeed and be productive as a football player in the NFL. Okay, fair enough. Russ Land, Rick Saratella, breaking it down, defensive line. A historic draft class in the making here. And, you know, we've talked about all these fantastic uh, defensive linemen, Russ. Uh, give me a guy under the radar that, you know, maybe isn't being talked up enough here. Well, I mean, firstly, I will mention, I know I keep going back to the Michigan kid, Winovich. He, to me, is a guy that is far better than he's getting credit for. This kid's going to be, in my opinion, a really productive NFL guy. I'd actually be surprised if he's not a starter um, within a few years in his career. I, mean, I really like this kid. He's got something about him in terms of passion, intensity, the way he plays the game. And I think also he's a way, way, way underrated athlete. This is a kid who's got a little quick twitch. He's got some side-to-side agility to beat blocks. I mean, there is something with this kid that I think is unfortunately – being overlooked, and he's not really getting a fair shake in terms of how naturally talented he is. He's a guy that the more I watch of him, the more impressed I am with the little things, the things that this kid can do to make an impact. And I'll give you one or two other guys that jumped out at me. The kid Cowart from Maryland, 
this kid's interesting. He's a better athlete than he gets credit for. I don't think he's ever going to be a dominant guy who just changes games. But when I watch this kid, I see a guy that I could see this kid developing into a starter. I could see him two or three years down the road being a really productive guy. And the last guy I mentioned, and I think we both saw him down at the senior bowl, Kalen Saunders, kid from Western Illinois. I think his uh, fiance had a child or his wife had a child yep. the week of the, the practices. I mean, this kid, yeah, is he ideally sized? No, he's a little over six foot, not even six one, three and twenty pounds. But he's got quick feet. He's powerful. He's athletic. Um, his film at Western Illinois, he was dominant most of the time. Then at the Senior Bowl, he had a really good week. I thought he did a good job in the practices. He's a kid to me that I wouldn't be shocked if he fell a little bit on draft day because smaller school at Western Illinois, just over six feet. Teams sort of mm-hmm. look at his body and say nose tackle, even though he's more of a guy that's athletic and can defeat blocks. So teams may not know where to fit him, so he may slide down into that third, fourth round area. I think this kid's got a chance to not only be a starter, but a really productive, versatile guy who can split mm-hmm. gaps, but because of that 325 at six feet, he might be able to even do some work as a nose. I could see Baltimore looking at him to come in and be their backup nose guy in that um, – defense they're going to run there's something unique about this kid i really like him i agree and i thought he was a magnet at the senior bowl and you talk about the passion right and here's a guy you know he had that one down day i think they had the day off of practice on friday you know he flies home for a day just to go see his newborn child then he flies back catches the red eyes just so he can come back and play in the game and you know when he took the podium on the uh, media q and a you could just tell football oozes from the pores. Um, you ask him a question, just let the tape recorder roll because he's going to give you a 10-minute answer for every question. He just loves talking football. He loves the game. He's so passionate. I actually spoke to him uh, during last summer before this season because he was on our radar. And, you know, just a guy very responsive, very in-depth, very knowledgeable, and I agree with you there. Um, Cowart. You know, he started off at Auburn, you know, finished up at Maryland. I agree with you. He, he too, was at the Senior Bowl, um, not as dominant or impressive as, as Saunders was. But you had to like what you saw, the flashes, the glimpses of what he showed you, what he can be. So I'll agree with you, Coward. Now, the one guy I'm getting beat up on, and, hey, you know what, maybe it's time for me to go back to the tape again. Uh, Winovich, you know, I, I, I've been taking a, a beating here internally with the NFL Draft Bible Scouting Department and uh, took another beat down again on the podcast yesterday. I don't know. For me, a lot of his uh, sacks and, and production uh, just came off of, you know, his ability to bully guys at the collegiate level. A lot of times it was just pure bull rush uh, type of mentality, and, and it succeeded, and he did well with that. I don't know. Maybe I didn't watch enough senior film. I know that was my perception based on his junior film. Maybe I had a a tough time, a troubling time, shaking that perception from my head, and that that happens as an evaluator. Those those are some of the things that... Don't beat beat yourself up, Rick, because I can tell you, I've talked to a lot of NFL people because I, I do like them, like I've said. There are a lot of NFL people that are in your boat. They think the kid's sort of an overachiever. They don't think he's an elite athlete. They think most of his production is through effort, competitiveness, technique, mm-hmm. and they think that when he gets to the next level, while he can be a productive third end, they don't know if he's got enough juice and talent to really be able to ever become a starter. 
They think he's going to be that guy that comes in and can spell each guy for maybe 10, 12 snaps at each end spot, give him a rest for a series or two each half, but he's never going to be that impact guy because he's not athletic enough. So I think there's a real split around the league. Some people are just yeah. in love with him. Yeah. Some people like me, I, I'm not in love with him, but I think there's something to the kid that gives him a chance to be a player. And there are other scouts that really don't know where he fits in the NFL other than as a try-hard effort guy. And you know what the reality is? There is a long list of guys, because I mentioned earlier how many athletes get overdrafted. There's also a long list of guys that are try-hard effort guys who look good testing-wise, but they're not really great athletes, and, and they're try-hard guys. So you give them the benefit of the doubt on those numbers when they test. You say, oh, he's so good, such a great effort. Obviously, those numbers are legit. And you get them in the NFL, and they're just guys. I can't remember the name of the kid who went in the third round for the Bears about seven, eight years ago, like Northern Illinois or something, great college pass rusher, got in the NFL, and within literally five, five practices, they knew they'd missed on him because he just didn't have the juice, and he was just a high-effort guy. So Winovich could be one of those guys, and that's why I think there's a big debate in the NFL where he fits and a big split on his grades depending on who you talk to. I agree. I mean, I've, I've heard people say he could sneak into the first round, and then I've heard day three, but you know you're yep. not the first you're you're not the first well respected football mind that I've heard say you like this kid, and that makes me say, hey, well you know what, two weeks away, and and these are what teams are doing. Hey, let me go back to the film. Did I miss something? Am I not seeing something? So that's why I love these uh, conversations, and that's why I love the draft process because you know beauty's in the, in the eye of the beholder and you know what i'm gonna hit and miss on things you're gonna hit and miss on things but you know when people keep telling me hey i, I might be wrong here that tells me that hey part of scouting is listening to people who know because listen we start with a, as you know Russ, we start with a list of 3500 players we're trying to chop them down to the top 500 there's no way anybody not a single exactly. person, as a one person, can identify and, and have their finger on the pulse with every single prospect. So you have to trust who you know and who you respect over the course of time. I think that's a big part of scouting and evaluating. So, you know, I'm going to have to go back to the videotape, as Warner Wolf would say. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, I we're remember him growing up. <laughs> we're winding down here. We've got a few minutes to play with. Uh, any other defensive line prospects that we did not touch on that you would like to just throw out there? You know, I mean, those are the guys, when I look at them, those are the handful of guys that I really like that, to me, stand out as guys that aren't getting the national hype. I mean, yeah, the Simmons kid, to me, one of the more intriguing guys in the draft because I think if 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 this thing from 2016 hadn't been brought up, I think you'd be talking about a guy that might go a little bit higher. Um Josh Allen to me. What about what about I, oh yeah, we didn't talk about Josh Allen and Brian Burns too. I know you mentioned Brian him Burns. briefly. Yeah. I I'd love I mean, to get your thoughts on him. You know, I mean Allen to me firstly, he's a unique guy. I mean, he's a he's sort of a when I look at him, he's sort of the prototypical size, thick, wide pass rusher off the edge. I just want to see a little bit more variety, a little bit more I don't know, consistency, but this guy's a good football player. I mean, he's going to go in the first round. Someone's going to take a roll of the dice on him. He's a 6'5", 260, athletic kid. Um, he knows what he's doing. But I look at Brian Burns, and to me, Burns is sort of that great example of a guy that if you only 
we're looking for a guy that could be good against the run and good against the pass, or good against the run and productive as a pass rusher. You might say, yeah, size is going to be an issue. He's probably going to play in the 240s most of his career. How are we going to use him? But if you're smart, which I think the, the bulk of the teams are nowadays, and they realize, hey, you can trade run production, especially run-at-you production, for elite pass rush skills, that's what Burns is. Burns get off his ability to get to that corner, dip, turn, and explode to the quarterback. There aren't many guys in this draft that can do that. I really think that the teams that use either a 4-3 where they line their ends up wide in a, in a, in a nine technique or 34 teams got to be drooling over this kid because the chance to let him come crashing off the edge. Now imagine if you were San Diego, and given they have Melvin Ingram and he's not going anywhere, but imagine if you got this kid and you could put him at one defensive end, and you could put Bosa on the other, where Bosa's going to have to be doubled most of the time, Burns would destroy coming off the edge on the other side because you wouldn't be able to focus on him. So I think any team that is going to allow a guy to line up wide, whether it's as a linebacker end, that come off the edge, Burns got some juice to him. I like this kid. We should. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that we need to mention him because there's something about him that, to me, of all the pass rushers in this whole draft, he may have the most pure juice just coming off the corner. His explosion, mm-hmm. his ability to get to that turn point, dip that shoulder, race around the corner, and explode to the quarterback. There's something unique about him. I'm very excited to see where he goes in the draft. I hope I'm right because I think he's going to go high. I think he could be a guy that sneaks into that top ten team that wants a pass yeah. rusher. But uh, I will say, though, I know some teams are concerned. They wonder if he can even play at 240. They think he's going to be a guy that plays in the 230s. If that's the case, I think some teams are going to be very scared to take him. But when I watch that kid play football, there's something that gets you excited because he plays with passion. Yeah. He's explosive. No, I, I think I think he can be special. And, you know, I think I did a mock draft, and the, the, the scenario that played out, he was there for the Panthers at 16. And, boy, do they need some help in, in that – defense with some edge rushers and uh you know if brian burns is there for carolina at number 16 i find it hard to believe that they can bypass that opportunity but hey i find it hard to believe that you'll bypass the opportunity to tune in next week when we break down the linebackers here on the gm junior show because hey it's an educational experience for me i have just as much fun as you do at home listening to russ landy speak and getting his scouting observations 20 years of scouting experience you just can't teach this folks in fact you can sports management worldwide the football GM, an online scouting course, eight weeks. Uh, Rustland will take you through the the criteria of what it takes, what you need to know, what you need to learn, and how to get your foot in the door. As he'll tell you, it's not going to guarantee you're going to be a GM uh, anytime soon. There's only 32 jobs on the planet for that. But it will allow you to learn what you need to know, break down some doors, expand your network, and, and get into the game. Uh, so if you're interested, check out sportsmanagementworldwide.com. Of course, we'll be back next week breaking down the linebackers. If you're just tuning in, we've ran through all the offensive positions. Today we did D-line. So, again, nfldraftscout.com, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher. Go back, check out the archives, because if you're not listening to these episodes before the draft, you're going to be behind the times, my friend. So, uh Great love and respect for you, Russ. We'll do it again next week. Of course, we're brought to you by the sportsmanagementworldwide.com folks. Check them out. And again, 
Go get your 2019 NFL Draft Bible, 400-plus scouting reports, 1,000 players ranked, over 100 interviews. We've got you covered from day one, day two, day three, even the undrafted free agent players. we got write-ups on those guys. A third of every NFL team consists of undrafted free agents, so we cover all the bases there. We appreciate all the love and support. NFL Draft Bible, family-owned and operated, independent scouting service. So uh, your contributions, your download for $9.99 goes a long ways. And I guarantee you, baby, we'll be back better than ever next year with that draft guide. So we appreciate all the love and support. Till next week, we'll catch you later, everybody. The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.